Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. We're walking in a winter wonderland. Feliz Navidad, y'all sing along. Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, Prospero on you, y Felicidad. Listen and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue. This is your chance. Just thinking about you. You'll be doing all right with your Christmas of white, but I'll have a blue, 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 blue Christmas. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party, huh? Mistletoe hung where you can see every couple tries to stop. You will get a sentimental feeling when you hear voices singing. Let's be jolly, deck the halls with boughs of heart. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Oh, I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Oh, the mistletoe hung where you can see Somebody waits for you, kiss her once for me Bells will be ringing, the sad, sad news Oh, what a Christmas to have the blues My baby's gone me greetings, greeting once again. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. Well, as you can tell, I love Christmas music. Anybody else? Are you with me? Look, if, if, you're not, if you're not with me, please just go with me for a second, okay? Because Christmas music can put you in like a certain state of mind, right? I mean, it's not like Coltrane or Barry White, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. Christmas music transports us, like it teleports us even to, to the, like winter wonderlands and Santa's workshop, and yes, Christmas music can even teleport us to the little town of Bethlehem, right? So, think for a second. What's your favorite Christmas song? Just think. What's your favorite Christmas song, okay? 
Now, when you're thinking about your favorite Christmas song, think about where it takes you. Think about where your mind is going to when you think about that favorite Christmas song. Pretty powerful stuff, right? Pretty powerful stuff. But the problem is that me and you, we often misunderstand this awesome, creative work of art that is Christmas music, you know? Because quite frankly, Christmas songs have way too many words in them. Anybody agree? Loads and loads of words in Christmas songs. And if you have forgotten or misheard the words to Christmas songs before, don't worry, a whole lot of people do. It's like a common occurrence in the world. Um, and um, I join you because I misheard and miss seeing uh, Christmas lyrics all the time. So I want to share with you this morning a few misheard Christmas lyrics. And Josh, you're going to have to help me out because I don't have the remote this morning, all right? The first misheard Christmas lyric that is so often heard is Old Lang Syne. Anybody else know that song? You know? Okay, so like you hear it, you know, should all acquaintance be forgotten, never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgotten in the land of old man time? Anybody ever hear that? That's not right. It's actually this. Should all acquaint should all the acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? It's a question. Should all the questions be forgot in days of old lang syne? So if you misheard that, you're not the only one. We often do that. All right. Here's another one. The Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your toes. Anybody think that's what it is? No. He's nipping at your what? And your nose. Of course, of course. All right, how about Winter Wonderland? Winter Winter Wonderland. You know that? It's like, later on, we'll perspire. <laughs> no? We'll conspire. Yes. We'll cons that means we'll think of something to do. Okay. How about Deck the Halls? Dawn, we now our day of peril. Like, we're ready for it. So go, to, go, to, go, to the, go to the in-laws for Christmas. It's our day of peril. Let's do it. No, no. It's our gay apparel, our happy clothes, right? Okay. The 12 days of Christmas. I know y'all know this. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me four collie birds. What's a, is it like a cross between a dog and a bird? I don't know. It's four, what? Calling birds. Parrots that talk to you or something. Okay. Silent Night, probably one of the most misheard Christmas lyrics of all time because you y'all you, sing it before. Round John Virgin. You see this man, he's, and his name is John Virgin? No, that's not what it is. Round yon virgin, like there she is. Okay, all right. Joy to the world, this is the, my favorite, like, joy to the world, the Lord has gum. As a kid, you want, you want gum. But that's not it, is it? It's the Lord is come. The Lord is come. Y'all ever seen that song, Grandma Got Run Over by, yeah, I love that. Grandma Got Run Over by a reindeer walking home, walking from the outhouse Christmas Eve. No, it's walking home from our house. Never let Grandma leave your house after she's had too much eggnog, right? All right, Winter Wonderland. Again, I love this. There's a lot of misheard lyrics in this song. Too many, too many words. In the meadow we can build a snowman and pretend that he is sparse and brown. That doesn't even make sense. It's because it's Parson Brown. They're going to get married. It's a preacher. Okay. Which brings us to 
the song that our sermon series is title is taken from, and that is Happy Christmas. And um, you know, you've heard them, it, it gets to the big part at the very end on the kids' choir singing, they go, A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a weird one without any beer. That's what I sing. It's not. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. Fear, right? These are all really, really silly. Uh, but the point is this. We get the meaning a little wrong sometimes, don't we? We get, we get it mixed up. And uh, we love Christmas, but sometimes we miss the point. How many of you ever missed the point of Christmas? I have. Um, we have one picture in our minds of what Christmas is truly about, but, but when, it, when it's really something else, or maybe something more. Um, so go back, if you would, um, to how powerful Christmas music is and Christmas memories are. Um, in October of 1971, after they had engaged in a couple of years of protests calling for peace and an end to the Vietnam War, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, they decided that they would pack their peace message in the warmth of a Christmas song. I got the album cover right here, okay? Um, and so uh, John Lennon had learned from his earlier success with that song, Imagine, in 1971, that if I can put like something really warm and tender that people can connect with, that maybe it'll, the message will work. And so they got together, and actually Lennon said this. He said, now I understand what I have to do to get people to listen. Put your political message across with a little honey. <laughs> That's what he said. Because he understood the power of Christmas music, right? And we know this, and Lennon knew this, but do you know who else knows this? Advertisers and marketing execs, right? They know this, and they know how to use it to their advantage, don't they? Because packaged with the perfect Christmas song, they show me how amazing my relationship can be with my kids when I get them that newest toy, right? They show me, packaged with music, how to secure the perfect marriage with my spouse if I just get her a brand new truck with a bow on the top of it. Y'all seen that commercial? They show us how happy we can be through the purchase of jewelry <laughs> and electronics and and even food, right? All of this advertising set fantastically to Christmas music. <laughs> and so what we do is we wander through December. Man, our head's spinning. We're swimming in a sea of commercialism, racing around to forced gathering sometimes with people you would rather not be around. And we think, so this is Christmas? It's enough to melt the joy of Christmas, leaving you feeling like Frosty the Snowman in Phoenix. I got a picture of that. <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, we're not like these guys right here. We're not like these guys. We're not supposed to be Grinches and Scrooges. Rather, we should be like this guy. Yeah! <laughs> right? <laughs> Because at Christmas, we are celebrating the life-altering event that forever changed our reality. 
when the, cultural, when, the, when the culture around us is going, so this is Christmas? Because of what we know, because of what we have experienced, we as followers of Jesus should be saying, so this is Christmas. This is it. This is what it is. Yes, guys, it's the birth of Jesus. Look up here at this nativity scene. It's Mary and Joseph not being able to find room in the inn. It's the shepherds and, and, and the wise men and all coming to adore the baby. It's the story that we tell with this nativity scene. This is why we, we do everything at Christmas. This is Christmas. Now, if I were to go around the room and point to one of you and then one of these figures, all of you could tell me what they're doing and who they are and, and what they're about. You, you kind of understand the basic story of Christmas. But can I offer to you that it's not that we're unfamiliar with the story of Christmas. It's that we don't often stop long enough to digest what is really going on here. There's a bigger story than just some static statues or some silhouettes or some inflatable things that light up in our yard. It's Jesus' birthday. And it's even more. In the words of C.S. Lewis, I'll show you this. At Christmas, we remember the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing that the whole story has been about. One of my favorites, Nicky Gumbel, says it like this. At Christmas, we remember the fact that Jesus entered into our world, and we're going to talk about this today, in order to restore relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with others. In this way. Jesus supplied the answer to our deepest need. I hope you caught that. At Christmas, Jesus supplies the answer to our deepest need. And how did Jesus do that? Well, let's read it. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is going to be the main thought this, this morning. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. So the word became, everybody say this next word, human. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Mm. Jesus be becoming human is the truth. That's at the center of the Christmas celebration. And it actually sits at the heart of Christmas. Jesus becoming human. We call that the incarnation. And this morning, we're going to take a brief exploration into this word, incarnation. First of all, we're going to ask the question, what is the incarnation? And second, we're going to ask the question, why is the incarnation important? And then, finally, we're going to finish with the question, why is the incarnation important to me? Okay, so if you have your note sheet, follow along. First blank you need to fill in is this. What is the incarnation? What is the incarnation? I'll start, and somebody said this morning, what in tarnations is the incarnation? <laughs> well, let me explain it to you. I want to start with the definition, taken just right from the dictionary. Incarnation is a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, 
spirit, or abstract quality. Embodies in the flesh. That's really, really important. So some synonyms to the word incarnation would be embodiment, personification, or a bodily form. So if you go back to John chapter 1, where we began, and you read this passage, and, and you pay really, really special attention, I believe that you can pick up on what we just defined as an incarnation. Let's start at the beginning of John chapter 1. John 1, 1. Got your Bibles? Are you following on the screen? John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, this is the Word again, existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. Verse 4, the Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought life his life brought light, brother, to everyone. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love that passage. It's so poetic. Did anybody notice the first three words of what we just read from John chapter 1? What were they? In the beginning. Does anybody know any other place in the Bible where that shows up? Yeah, right, right, right. It's the beginning of the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 1, 1, it seems like John, who's the author of John, is trying to call back to Genesis. Why? Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the same three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. Watch this in verse 2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the, what does it say? Spirit of God. So already we've seen God. We've seen the Spirit of God who is hovering over the surface of the waters. And then watch this in verse 3. Then God said. What did he say? A word. <laughs> the word. A creative, powerful word. Let there be light. And there was light. So, so both in John 1 and in Genesis 1, we see this idea of three persons of God, don't we? The Father, the Spirit, and the Son, who is the Word, the, the actual creative force. And we just read in John that everything that was made was made through Him, and nothing was made unless He made it. So when John uses the Word, friends... He's talking about Jesus, Amen. who has been with God, is in fact God, okay? So get that in our minds. There's a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus has been with God, equal to God for out of eternity. Now go down to verse 10. John chapter 1, verse 10. He, this is talking still about the word, Jesus, he came into the very world. He created. <laughs> the Word entered into the, the world that He had made. And then skip down to verse 14. So the Word became human. We've already read it. And He made His home among us. Wow. Just see this. Jesus, 
God's Son, second person of the Trinity. He came into the very world he made. Verse 14 says, he became human. Can y'all say, became human? Important. The original language here um, kind of implies flesh and blood. Meaning, he had a literal body. Verse 14 also says that he made his home among us or dwelt among us. It's like he set up his tent to camp with us. It's kind of the idea here. This God, think about this, in all of his creative power, actually takes on the form and the body of something that he had created. All for the purpose to come and hang out with us. <laughs> God who formed man from the dust of the earth actually puts on one of these dirt bodies that he's made. The dirt body with all the, with all the frailties and all the challenges just because he wants to be with us. The eternal, omnipotent presence of God in a dirt bag. <laughs> because he wants to be with all of us dirt bags. <laughs> right? Never losing his divinity. Forever connected with his humanity. Jesus is the God-man. That's what the incarnation is about. That the eternal God became a human. Let's read what Peterson translates it. I, I love this. John 1.14 again from the message. The word became flesh and blood. And he moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. Like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. Write this down in your notes. So, the incarnation is when Jesus became human. Taking on a human body. Why? So he could connect, really, reconnect with us. Why do we say reconnect? Because in the beginning, God had us in the garden, humankind in the garden before sin got in there, and they had a closeness. And it was separated by sin. But, but now Jesus is coming back into the, into the thing that he made in order to reconnect us into great relationship with God. Gerald Bray writes this, The Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father and fully equal to him in every respect, became a man so that he could unite us to himself, pay the price for our sins, and bring us back to God. So you're already starting to see the answer to the second question, right? <laughs> Why is the incarnation important? Well, you can already see how big this concept is. To think that God would span the gap between immortal and mortal. To think that he would go the distance between spirit and flesh. To actually enter into my space and my existence. That's huge. The incarnation is super important because, really, we get off in the weeds if we forget about it. And what, what, what do I mean? Well, the, in, the idea and the incarnation that Jesus is both fully God and at the same time fully human 
has really been a point of struggle sometimes among people that uh, claim to follow Jesus. As early as the very first century, there were voices within followers of Christ who maintained that Jesus wasn't fully God or that Jesus did not become God until after the resurrection. And like, can't you kind of understand that a little bit? Like, what if you had been living in the time of Jesus and you walked around town with this guy and you saw him eat bread and, and you, you maybe even saw him sweat and be dirty? That would be a stretch, right, to go, man, God, I, don't, I know this guy. How could that be? And so that was kind of where it was for a while. And also they, they lived in this Greco-Roman um, religious culture that had all kinds of gods, some of them big gods, some of them little gods. They had people who were half God and half human and people who were like superhumans. So like this is all their mythology. And to actually come and say, no, this person is fully God and fully man, it was, it was kind of a stretch. And it was hard to go against their worldview at their time. But there were disciples of Jesus who actually had walked with him. Think about those people who were there at the baptism. And they heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. And they saw the Spirit come down. Those people believed. What about the people, uh, Peter, James, and John, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when they see Jesus be glorified and again hear the voice of the Father. That's my boy. They believe. They, they believed. And so these people that really, truly got it, they would, they would offer explanations and appeal back to the Scripture. And eventually, in the first few centuries of after Christ started the early church, eventually all those um, discrepancies kind of got worked out. But then kind of the pendulum swing the other direction. And there were some teachings that went on in the church called Doceticism and Gnosticism. And it was around the third and fourth century in the church that a lot of people started to struggle with the idea that Jesus ever actually really had a body. See, enough time had passed and there wasn't anybody alive who had lived with him. And so they began to think things like this, like, okay, Maybe, I mean, we know he's God, it's, it's apparent, but, but maybe he really wasn't human. And this, this idea really caught a lot of traction. Um, it was a huge controversy in the early church, like a big fight. There was at least three church-wide councils where they got together to talk about Jesus being fully God and fully human. And what they did was, in those early church councils in the 300s and 400s, they firmly established the, what, the beliefs that we hold today. They made them into a creed and they formalized them. And they standardized that we as followers of Jesus know and believe that he's fully God and fully human. Say amen if you believe that. Yeah, yeah. So we know that. But sometimes I wonder if we really get it. I wonder... If I don't forget sometimes that Jesus was really a human like me. Like, I'll just confess this to you. Um, sometimes my view of God has been of him being like a judge who sits behind a high fence, you know, just looking down on us, watching for when I mess up so that he can, you know, drop the gavel and pass sentence on me. Anybody ever had that thought? We imagine 
a great distance between us and God. We, we think maybe God's in some far-off galaxy somewhere. All his power and authority are, are real. It just doesn't reach where I am most of the time. And I think sometimes even today, we fall victim to the idea that, you know, sure, Jesus is, is God, and one day he's going to come back. But pretty much right now, he's just letting humans just kind of figure it all out on their own. <laughs> but the idea that the incarnation addresses is that Jesus becoming flesh reminds us that he is both fully God and fully man. You might want to write that down in your notes. Jesus becoming flesh reminds us that he is fully God and fully man. And because of that, in Jesus, we have exactly what we need. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, If Jesus Christ is not true God, how could he help us? If he's not true man, how could he help us? You see? The importance of Jesus being fully God and fully man. I love what Tony Evans, attacking this same idea what Tony Evans says. Because Jesus Christ is a man, he feels what we feel. Because he is a God, he can do something about it. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And I believe that this is one of the most important parts of the incarnation, guys. Jesus becoming flesh means that he understands me. He gets us, as a popular ad campaign says. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, you can read a beautiful description of it. Hebrews chapter 4 says, This high priest of ours understands our weakness. He faced all of the same testings that we do. Yeah, it's so awesome. So I also want to take you to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 says, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That's why the incarnation is important. Because God sent his son at the right moment of human history. He was flesh and blood human, born from a woman just like the rest of us. God sent Jesus for that purpose of redeeming us and bring into the family we who were once slaves and make us children. Let's go to the last question. Why is the incarnation important to me? That's what everybody wants to know, right? What difference does that make to me? Well, let's write this down. Jesus becoming human means that he comes my direction. <laughs> the story of Christmas, this picture that we see here in the nativity scene, the idea of the incarnation is all about God coming to us. Think about that. It's the gospel of grace, right? I'm undeserving. I, I, <laughs> I'm a human with a bent toward sin and being selfish. But Jesus becoming human shows that he's the one with the initiative to come my direction to help me. I'm powerless. I can't restore my connection with God and with others on my own. I can't do it with enough religious activity. I can't do it by becoming charitable enough. I just simply cannot connect with God on my own. 
But Jesus comes my direction and his becoming human makes it all possible. Romans chapter 5. Y'all love this. Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless, that's you and me, Christ came at just the right time, insert Christmas, and died for us. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And then it also says in verse 8, check out verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The incarnation is important to me because I can't know God without it. I can't have connection with my creator and understand how to live with my neighbor without Jesus becoming a human. I'd say it this way. Christmas rocks <laughs> because it celebrates God's burning heart of love to move my direction, to get involved in my mess and to connect with me. Think about it this way. Jesus, at the incarnation and at Christmas, he actually gives himself as a present to us. A redemption, connection, life to the full. He gives himself, wraps himself up in a baby <laughs> and gives that present to you and me at the incarnation. Incredible. By becoming flesh and blood and entering into my mess, he generously gave himself the remedy for my illness. That's the greatest gift ever. Write this down in your notes. Second reason the incarnation is important to me. Jesus becoming human means that he understands me. He understands me. Being a human, Jesus experienced everything that you and I do. I wonder if, if you've ever thought about this idea about Jesus being human. Think about, think about this. Jesus probably had a sore throat from time to time. <laughs> ever, ever thought about that? Wow. Jesus might have caught a stomach bug. Right? Have you ever wondered if Jesus had body odor? I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm just saying. He was a human. Do you ever wonder if Jesus suffered from hereditary early onset baldness? A little close to home, but <laughs> did Jesus fall down and skin his knees as a kid? More importantly, did Jesus struggle with relationships? Did he feel pressure to perform? Did he endure the loss of a loved one? Did he struggle to figure out how to make ends meet sometimes? Did Jesus know worry? Did he experience stress and pressure, anxiety? Did Jesus ever feel lonely? I believe, guys, that this is one of the most important parts of the incarnation. Jesus becoming human means he understands me. He, he does. And I've already read this, but I want to come back to it. Hebrews chapter 4. This high priest of ours. He understands our weaknesses. <laughs> he gets it. Because he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So friends, can I tell you, when you're going through a difficult time, nothing means more than having someone who can come beside you and understand what you're going through. That's Jesus. 
Him because becoming human means that he enters into humanity with all of our struggles, with all of our pains. He's experienced it himself, and so he can be sympathetic, empathetic. He can feel what you feel. Yeah. <laughs> We've done a little quick look at the Gospels, and I want to show you this list. The Gospels share with us about what Jesus experienced as a human Check this out. Jesus knew temptation. Jesus knew poverty. Jesus knew frustration. He knew weariness. He was disappointed at times. He, he, he knew what it felt like to be rejected. He felt sorrow. He was ridiculed. He even, even felt loneliness. Why don't you just kind of look at that list for a second. Do you feel those things? Yes, we do. But Jesus felt them too. No matter what you're going through, in Jesus, we have a friend who is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He understands us better than anyone else can. Last thing on your notes. Jesus becoming human means that he is near me. Everybody say, near me. He's near me. The incarnation is God breaking into our space to be with us. I tell you what, this morning as, as we worshiped, all the songs kind of preached this message. And we sang about Jesus being called Emmanuel, which means what? Help me out. God with us. Let's read that. From the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look. <laughs> the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son. And will call him Emmanuel. God's with us. He's here. He's near us. So when Mary conceived and Jesus was born a human, he joined us. He came close to us. This means that he's available to us. He doesn't stand back, remaining distant from our pain, from our hardship. Instead, he wants to crawl right into the darkest part of your life. He wants to whisper comfort to your pain, bring light to your darkness. The incarnation is important to me because I don't have to do life alone. <laughs> Jesus is with me. In fact, he's right beside me. I love this. This is the transcendence of God, right? That the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God who formed the universe is here. With me. <laughs> so this is Christmas. A baby. A human baby. The story of God. Who's come all this way to mix it up with you and me. Jesus became human and he made his home among us. The embodiment. The incarnation of God's love. And when we see Jesus as he is, from the verse in John chapter 1, verse 14, we see 
the glory of God. And when we welcome that glory and we welcome him in, we actually receive the life that he came all this distance to offer to us. Would you join me in a moment of reflection and introspection? Just maybe bow your heads where you are, and we're going to close out our time together just by thinking about the incarnation and meditating on this truth that Jesus became human, fully God and fully man. And what does that mean to me? So Holy Spirit, just lead our thoughts in these last few moments together as we've thought about your word today. God, our thinking, Lord, inspire us with your truth. As you're kind of in this thoughtful posture, trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit might want to say personally to you, can I invite you to look at the screen? Check out these response questions. Where do you need Jesus to move your direction? What comes to mind? There's a situation, a relationship. Where do you need Jesus to move your direction? How does thinking about the incarnation make you feel about Jesus in that light? Is there anything you'd like to say to him at this moment? Just going to take a pause right here. Lord, I have this situation. But I know you've come my way. I know you've initiated connection with me and you want to help. You're near me. And so, Lord, I'm just begging for your intervention, calling out for your mercy today. Why don't y'all just take the moment to pray that? Whatever that situation might be in your life, there at your seat, Jesus became flesh because he wants to help. Just talk to him. Thank you for moving my direction, Lord. And would you please have mercy on this area of my life? I really need you. He's near and he's listening. One final question. You know, you realize that Jesus understands what you're going through, that he's near you, and that really does change the way you look at situations that you're facing. But I would ask us this morning, is there a change in attitude or a change in action or maybe even in the way we speak that we need to make in response to this truth? He's come to me. He's near me. That's my attitude. And my actions reflect that. Sometimes we need to wait for him to come. Quietly trusting that he's moving on our behalf. Sometimes we need to lean into his nearness. And let the warmth of his presence Push away anxiety and fear. 
Is there a change in attitude or action that you need to make in response to Jesus becoming human? Thank you.